the Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast. Hey folks, Jason Bond from the podcast studio in Stoneville, Mississippi. Today I have Dr. Tom Allen. Tom, do you want me to call you Dr. Allen? Is that cool? No, I'd just rather be Tom Allen. Tom Allen. I'm not sure who to look for when you call me Dr. Allen. Tom Allen, the ball pathologist. Absolutely. We have from Startville, Trent Irby on the phone. See, I almost said Dr. Trent Irby, Trent, but I held off on it. You're welcome. You can hold off on it. We'll stick with Trent. Trent's on the phone. Hopefully y'all can hear him well. Trent hasn't seen you in, I don't know when the last time we saw you was, since we didn't do a single meeting this winter. I've honestly only spoken to him on the telephone, too, even when I've been in Starkville picking things up throughout 2020. I think I only talked to him on the phone. A little strange. Yeah, seriously, dude. I don't know when's the last time we uh, ended up in the same room at the same time. It was very strange. How are things in Starkville? Everything gearing up for a 2021 crop? I'm ready for it. Uh, I'm I'm ready to see some dirt turned over and get some things done. So I was going to say some exciting news here from the podcast studio. Some, if you've been paying attention to Twitter, some additional Twitter handles have started to pop up. But we will be transitioning through 2021 from the Mississippi Crop Situation podcast to the Crop Doctors podcast. We all talked about it and, and decided it was we were going to up, update our brand a little bit and move forward get some new music things like that so look for those things to come over the next few weeks nothing nothing's going to change content wise we're still going to try to bring you the the best content that we can and then of course as we get into the season a relevant real-time content when those situations come up but what we wanted to do today with trent on the phone was just talk about soybeans and the things that we need to think about leading up to planting and then, you know, variety selection, those type of things. So, Trent, since you haven't really had an opportunity to to do any meetings this year, why don't you just give us a, a little short blurb about what, what you see going into the 2021 crop for soybeans, and then we'll talk about some of the more specifics as we go through. Okay. Well, everybody that's in this business knows how fluid the, the acreage situation is going to be, so... It's it's going to be super dependent on weather and and how many acres of corn get planted versus not planted and so forth and so on. I guess that comes along with having a a huge planting window that that we can accomplish with soybeans. So we'll have we'll have those dedicated acres that we'll plant just as soon as we can, and then we'll have acres that make it transition into soybean because of failed acres of corn or, or corn or cotton that, that aren't able to be planted later. Right now, I would expect a, a similar acreage to, to what we had in 2020, uh, north of 2 million, give or take. Where did we land in 2020? I don't I don't guess I ever heard you say. The official number on paper was 2.06 million. What was the Trent Irby number? That was pretty close, okay. 2.1. And then yield, our yield was, was pretty good. We had a, a 54 bushels that tied the, the previous record. So, you know, we, we keep improving each year. It seems like on, on yield, look at the last decade, we've gone from state averages in the low 40s to, to now state averages in the mid 50s. And it was a good year. You know, weather-wise, I mean, across the board, I mean, we had some glitches here and there, but if you take the whole year, I mean, after we got everything worked up and going, it, it shaped up pretty good. And then, of course, having a good fall 
to get everything out was really a different thing from the previous two years. That's the that's the truth. I, I stayed pretty nervous though while we kept trying to dodge hurricanes for and tropical storms it felt like every other day. Well and I think we ended up with some places we certainly weren't able to get in and plant at all in twenty. But that wasn't a, a large acreage. And I would say based on running around the state where I looked down southwest corner, some of those areas they were not able to plant at all. Yeah, well we've run into that the last couple of years certainly and, and when you look on paper from two thousand nineteen to two thousand twenty it looks like we had a, a four hundred thousand acre increase in, in soybeans between the two years, but that that was just related back to the to the big flood that we had in 19 and, and so many acres that didn't get planted. Trent, where do you feel comfortable on acres? What's our sustainable acres? Is it 2.1? I know we've been you know up closer to 2.5, maybe even exceeded 2.5 in, in some years. Where do you feel comfortable in our state with acres? I think 2.1 to 2.2 is our, is our comfort zone. Where have we topped out? Did I misspeak saying two and a half? Depends on how far you want to go back in history. No, you haven't misspoken. But in, the, in recent years, give or take, you know, eight or ten years, we've we've ranged from one point six up to to two point three or so. Okay, so uh-huh. I, was a, I was a shade high. I couldn't remember exactly. When we get high like that, things get get a little crazy on on getting things delivered and out of the field and finding places to put it. Uh, two point one to two point two. I think we our infrastructure has grown to accommodate that with our with our increase in yield and for the most part it seems like that that things flow pretty well. We hadn't had big jumps since the '70s, and I only say that because Billy Moore loves to talk about the fact that in the '70s they were rowing up just about every acre they could to put soybeans on. Yeah, I've I've heard those history stories too. It's pretty fascinating to hear that, and, and to some degree we'll see it now when we when we get big jumps in. Market prices. I'll, I'll get the occasional. Hey, what do you think about this? And it's a uh, uh, you know land taken from something else and put back into production. It seems like there's kind of an arms race right now for acres between corn and soybean just across the country. It seems that way. Uh, you know, I, I don't I don't keep up with with the corn across the country like I do the corn here in our state just because of the way it influences our acres, but. You know, like I said a minute ago, to to me, if we have favorable weather for corn planting, we'll we'll get the intended corn acres in the ground, and then soybean will, will pretty well stay close to what initially is intended. What do you feel like drives that? Is it planting date? Is it price? Is it logistics? What drives you saying that we will get our corn acres planted if the if we can? Just the, the weather. If, if the price is right for people to, to for our farmers to want to increase their corn acres, uh, which I don't know what the corn price is today. I, I haven't looked recently, but uh, if the price is right and they have a high acreage intended for corn, if we have warm enough soil conditions and long enough stretches of dry periods, we'll we'll get the corn planted. But when you look at what we have to have have start calling normal for our spring that's not the case our our normal march time period is cold and wet and and it feels like half of april gets that too so more years than not i have seen not as many corn acres planted as was initially intended and a lot of those acres getting shifted to soybeans or cotton depending on on cotton prices how many acres 
and I don't mean to put you on the spot, but how many acres, just ballpark percentage-wise, do you feel like, you know, over the past six or seven years, well, soybeans have been fallback acres, whether it's couldn't get the variety you wanted or couldn't get corn planted and waited and waited and waited and ran out of time and had to jump to soybeans. Do, do you have a sense of how big of a chunk we have of that type of thing? Yeah, I don't. it's not a big chunk. Uh, if, we, if we have, like, really drastic poor weather conditions that would, would keep, you know, 200,000 acres of corn from getting planted, then 100,000 of that may go to beans, if that's a good enough example for you. So overall, when you're looking at, at 2.1 to 2.2 million acres of beans intended in Mississippi, if we have one of those uh, kind of planting seasons on the early side, we may end up with another 7,500 acres than what we initially intended. See, and working in rice, man, when, you, when you're talking about 100,000 acre swings, that's the whole crop. <laughs> some years those are big numbers i mean of course we do a bunch of soybean work as well but just thinking about you know total acres when you're talking about a hundred thousand acre swing and then thinking about rice that's takes you a second to absorb that it does it's taken me several years to get used to talking about it because usually when when people ask me what our acres intentions are i'll say you know 2.1 plus or minus a hundred thousand <laughs> and that's the truth it really is the truth oh because that's the kind of swings that you can see depending on weather and floods and, and, and other things that we have to deal with during the planting season. And then we're a small state, you know, in the grand scheme of things. Right. So, Trent, how's seed availability looking for 21? I've heard some some discussion on some varieties being pulled because of some quality issues, and I've heard some discussions of other varieties getting, you know, booked and, and uh, booked early. Most guys have already made a lot of decisions so the the hard part from this point is going to come into those acres that like we were just talking about the swing over from another commodity into beans and have to locate you know varieties to, to cover those acres you mentioned seed quality in general how, how are we on that for 2021 right now i don't have any reason to think that there's any level for concern uh if you remember three or four years ago we, we had quite a bit of concern on it yeah, and that's what uh, I was thinking about when I asked the question. But right now, not so much. You know, two or three years ago, it may have been as much of a function of a, a huge swing in the, in the traits and the, in the new varieties. You remember we had a year where we went from 30% of the new trait to 90% of the new trait in, in a calendar year. So we had a lot of new varieties out there that we had to do a lot of seed increase to get to get the, the seed to be able to plant. During the first week of March, what are your most popular varieties? I mean, we talked about the fact that guys are already going to have those booked, and they certainly do, but what are our main core varieties going into this year? And of course, Asgro 46X6 has been the market standard uh, since its first year of release, really. And I think it'll it'll still claim that spot. I, I think in 2020, the performance of that one across the board has changed a little bit from from what it was. I don't know that it was the variety or that, that there are other varieties that are doing as well as it now. I, I think that may be a more accurate way to put it. Uh, when 46x6 first came out, it it was you know out yielding most things whenever you put it across acres and and planting dates and environmental conditions and things of that nature. In 2020, there were a lot of other varieties that were yielding pretty well with it. Uh, so, you know, there's 
obviously a lot of soybean varieties to choose from, but they'll they'll be fifty percent of our market will be planted in the same two or three. What do you think drives that trend beyond what our normal conversation would be? Do you think it's yield, or do you think disease resistance or tolerance in those packages and those particular varieties? Some of both. Uh, when when growers are looking at at their varieties to choose from, yield is first and foremost number one uh, yield potential uh, of that variety. But I think that the disease tolerance is is going to run a pretty close second. A lot of guys are are aware of you know disease challenges in our crop and have firsthand witnessed the, the uh, benefit, I guess, of planting top-notch disease packages versus trying to manage things in, in other ways. Well, and it helps, I think, the bulk of the breeding and the bulk of the germplasm we're encountering now and seeing in the field is, is resistant to frog eye, and I think that has definitely helped. Trent, will we have an Extend Flex variety that makes a wave this year? I don't know. I, I have not had the opportunity to, to evaluate any Extend Flex varieties in a yield trial. I've, I've seen some, but uh, not not been able to take them out to, to yield in, in the yield trial. So this will be my first year with them. I do think that, you know, the, the conversations I've had, I think expectations are high that there'll be, there'll be some that immediately make an impact like the 46X60 did a few years ago. Do you have a sense of how much seeds out there? I really don't. Uh, not yet. I, I think that as March moves on, I, I feel like I'll have a, a lot better sense of, of what we're going to see. But I know I know there'll be a, a fair amount planted. But you know, just guessing right now, I, I would say that I would estimate, depending on how many acres we end up planting as a state. But right now, you know, 25, 30. 35% of our acres may, may end up being in extend flex beans if the seed's there. If 25 or 30% are extend flex, are the remainder going to be extend? Well, we'll, we'll have a, a, some percentage of, of in-list varieties uh, pocketed here here and there where you know guys have kind of gotten comfortable with those over the last couple of years. But the vast majority, you know, 97, 8% will be made up of, of extend or extend flex. So let's let's dissect this a little bit, Trent. Let's talk about this from a standpoint of a farmer who's at the point where he's making a late decision. He's got to go out and plant soybeans because he either missed the window for corn, he hasn't planted soybeans in a few years. What should he consider moving into 21 from a planting standpoint? In those situations, the, the first questions that I usually get are, for variety recommendations. And, of course, when you get to that point, uh, you really just need to check with your retail guys and seed suppliers and see what's available and then make the best decision based off what's still available at that point. As far as the second question, most guys will ask, depending on what the calendar date is, I guess, but we'll ask uh, maturity group. What maturity group to plant, say, we're, you know, May the 15th, and we're talking about this, or, you know, getting, getting on into the planting window a good ways. And a lot of guys will, will consider uh, shifting maybe out of a, out of a group four, uh, the mid to late group four range into even an early four or late three, or even on the opposite end of that spectrum, possibly even an early five, just depending on what the, the calendar date is. And the, the 
short answer to that is that on irrigated ground, just sticking with the the highest yielding potential variety that you can get your hands on in that group 4.5 to 4.9 range uh, is still a, a positive thing. Those those varieties have a lot of yield potential. Those that are that are, you know, like you said a minute ago, bred and made for our area. So when you get that late into the window, the the advantage that comes along with uh, manipulating your your maturity group selection is, is not there anymore. That's that's in the early part of the window. Late in the window, regardless of maturity group, you have about roughly the same yield potential. However. Uh, Earlier instead of later can be better because it'll mature earlier in the fall and you'll get it out faster. How about inoculum considerations in some of those situations? How important is that? Arkansas has some data that, that would suggest that in the late window, inoculating regardless of field history is, is something to do. So, you know, when you look at those data, it, it does suggest a, a yield benefit from inoculating seed, even planting. You know, in a light window or, you know, in a wheat bean scenario, too, in, in years where we have wheat to double crop behind. Say we get in the field April 1, just because that's a nice, even number. Four weeks away, what do we need to do between now and then to ensure that on April 1 we're ready to rock? Have the planters calibrated and have the seeds sitting there ready to go, uh, of course, you know a lot of guys. Seed treatments are, are important, so we'll we'll have our treated seed delivered and, and sitting ready to go when it's time to, to get in the field to do it. We had a good percentage of acres get treated in the fall for burn down. An obvious difference between this year and the previous two, where we had to do a lot of spring tillage. So not even considering those two years, but how big a difference? does getting a lot of burn down out in the fall make when we get to this point in the in the year? It's a big difference if we don't have to do any kind of field prep work. Uh, we, we, we have our burn down out in the fall, have our beds there. Uh, of course, there are situations, depending on the, the winter months, where we get such rainfall that our, our beds have weathered so much that we may have to rebed some situations. But if we can get in there and and you know do do our quote unquote routine burn down in the springtime and still seedbed uh, plants, uh, that's a huge benefit to targeting these early planting dates that that we promote so highly. So I'd say one last question there, Trent, or one question at least for folks to really consider: seeding rates. What's your three take-home bullets on seeding rates? So there's a lot of information that you can look up online and talk to different people on, on soybean seeding rates. As a general guideline for us, when you look at at so many of our acres being on heavy clay soils, and then we have quite a few acres that's even on uh, our more traditional cotton land, when you look at the heavier side of things, I would stick with the higher end of the seeding rate. It's also going to depend on planting date and those environmental conditions uh, at the time. So generally speaking, if it's cold and wet outside or expected to become cold and wet shortly after planting, stick with 130 to 140,000 uh, population on your seeding rate on your heavier land, uh, and then you could cut it back by, by 10,000 or so on, on lighter textured soils 
if you're moving into May, when traditionally you think about planting a seed on a Monday and it's jumping out of the ground by Thursday, you can back off there to 120 to 130,000, uh, again, depending on, on your soil texture. All right, Trent. Well, that's pretty much going to catch us up all the way to planting. Hopefully, the weather's going to cooperate. So we certainly appreciate you taking time out of your afternoon and talking with us. Uh, you have any parting shots? No, I guess not. I just say uh, as soon as the weather allows, when we get into that April planting window, plant plant what we can while it's pretty. Tom, you want to wrap up with anything? No, I, I think that's it. We just we appreciate our continued listener support. For sure. We certainly appreciate y'all taking time out of your day to listen to what we have to say. It's pretty flattering to know that anybody really cares what what we think or what we have to say. So we, we certainly appreciate that. And for sure, you know, whenever y'all need something, get in touch with us. We'll, we'll come and look. We'll come and talk. We'll come and do whatever we can to help you get your year started off in the right direction. But we're going to jump off for now, and uh, we'll catch you on the next episode. The Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast is produced by the Mississippi State University Extension Service. 